I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Working Conversations. This week, I'm talking about how to get anything you want. That's right, I said how to get anything you want. Now, before I dive into it, I need to put out a caveat. I'm talking about playing the long game. This is not a quick fix. What I'm about to describe in this episode is not a trick. I'm not going to give you a sleight of hand or a technique for pulling the wool over someone's eyes. There is no magic here, no manipulation. But I guarantee if you follow the steps I describe, you will absolutely get what you want. And I will provide ample evidence and anecdotes from my own work life in which following these steps, I absolutely got what I wanted. All right, so let's back up here and take the 10,000 foot view and give you a little bit of context So very recently, I was invited to speak in a college classroom. Well, virtually, of course, because it still is the pandemic. And the college classroom that I was invited to speak at was clear on the other side of the country. The professor and I have known each other for a very, very long time, although we haven't been in touch recently. But her class on global professional communication was one where they were looking for plenty of external speakers. So it's a master's level class that draws people from a wide variety of backgrounds, some of them entrepreneurial, some of them corporate, some in the midst of changing from one of those to the other. And as she thought about who would be good guest speakers for her class, my name came to mind because again, we've known each other for a couple of decades. Gosh, hard to believe that. Even though we haven't been in close contact, we've known each other for a couple of decades. And she knows of my experience doing various things on the global landscape. So she invited me to speak in her class. And as I got to her class, first of all, I have to say, they were gathered face to face, masked up, sitting six feet or more apart from one another. But it was just, and I was zoomed into their class. And it was just so much, so wonderful to get a chance to be with some people who were actually in one, one another's presence, because that has been a very, very, very long time in coming for many of us. So as I began talking with her class, I spent about 15 minutes on my career story, specifically as it relates to my global experience. And if you've been a longtime listener, you may know from episode one, where I tell my career story, that my global experience, at least as it relates to work, started when I was a college professor taking students on study abroad trips, first to Ireland for a couple of years, and then to London. And so I shared that, and then I shared how that really set me up for when I left academia, that really set me up for my corporate job where I was leading a team that provided services, usability and user experience design services to global products across our organization. So I had quite a number of anecdotes and and specific pieces of information to share about uh, working in a global environment for a global company doing work really and literally across the globe. 
So I finished the, that recap. And again, if you haven't heard that, you may want to go catch episode one, workingconversations.com forward slash one to go directly to episode one, where I share my career story and you'll get more detail on that. But after I shared my career story, again, as it relates to my global experience, I then opened it up to questions. And the first few questions I got were fun questions, and then some were very practical questions about very as- various aspects of my career, and specifically, how did you do such and such, and so forth. So very pragmatic, nuts and bolts, and in the trenches kind of questions. And those were great questions. And then I got two questions that really got me going, and in a good way. I felt a little bit like I was up on my soapbox, but in a really, really good way. And I think I shared some very valuable things with that class, and I want to share them with you as well. So one of those questions came from somebody who was in a corporate role, and one of those questions came from somebody who is interested in pursuing a more entrepreneurial path. And upon further reflection, after I gave the answers to those two questions, I essentially gave the same answer. Now, different variations of the same answer, but if you boil it down to the essence of the answer, in both cases, I was telling the person who was asking the question how to get what they want. Absolutely how to get what they want. So I want to share the two scenarios and the two kind of general, generally, I mean, I, I didn't record the session, so I don't have the exact questions in front of me, but I will paraphrase their questions and then share the answers that I gave. Now, first, the person in the corporate scenario. This person is somebody who is a scrum master, so she works with software developers as a project manager, helping to get those projects out the door. So she could really relate to the examples and scenarios that I was describing about being somebody who did product design and user experience design and testing. And she wanted to know, how do you get your company, how do you get the corporation to really understand the value for you to go on site with your customers so that you can see them in action and learn about their workflow? And that wasn't exactly how she framed the question, but that was the question that she was asking. And she wasn't necessarily asking that question in a COVID environment. She was just asking that question in a pre or post COVID environment. How do you explain and emphasize the value of literally being with your customers so you can see how they do their work, what their workflow is like, so that that can inform your product development. And she said she was a little frustrated, or at least the impression I got was she was frustrated because her organization thought that it could all be done virtually or maybe through survey data or some other less tangible method. And she really wanted to be able to make the point that it was important to get out and see users doing their workflow so that they could design better software solutions to fit those workflows. And she had heard me talk about my work doing user experience design and usability testing, where we went to Beijing, we went to Australia, we went to London, we went literally all across the globe studying our users and their workflow, both in data gathering Um, assignments, as well as in usability testing environments. So here was my answer to her. And I I, I described myself in when I was in that corporate role very much as an evangelist. I had to educate people on the value of design and the value of user experience research and the value of usability testing. So I was very much an evangelist first. And I was building a business 
inside of a corporation. So again, if you've heard episode one, you've heard me talk about being entrepreneurial, where I needed to really be boots on the ground, get to know my customers, uh, and then make a case for the services that we could provide. And so what that looked like, and this is what I shared with her in my answer, is what it looked like first is going to coffee, meeting up with various business owners and finding out what were their pain points, what's wrong with their product, where do what prompts uh, customer service calls, what makes their customers irate about their product, and then offering a free sample to address that, to say, oh, show me a couple of screenshots of where that happens, where customers get stuck and have to call into the helpline to get through the workflow. And then taking that those screenshots, we would, you know, me and my team, we would mark up that those screenshots and basically give them a free sample. Oh, here's what we would change. We would put the next button on this side of the page instead of that side of the page. Or we would, you know, we would talk about just some very simple quick fixes, low-hanging fruit, if you will, that would make that user experience better, simply to prove the value of what our team brought to the table. Now, that often led to then a small project. And we might do a small project that would take just a couple of weeks to do. Again, oftentimes those were after the fact, after a product was released, and we were hitting the pain points that customers were experiencing in the early versions of the product. Now, once the customer, my customer, um, the business unit inside of the large organization, saw that we could provide that level of value, then I would talk to them about really getting ahead of these issues in the product development lifecycle and what we could do for them if they engaged us earlier in that process rather than after something was already released to their customer. In fact, if they could engage us early on in the earliest iterations of a product idea, we would be able to help them take a much better idea to market. And it would save them money in the long run by investing a little bit or a modest amount with us up front, rather than having a product hit the market that had some flaws that we could have easily caught and corrected for, and the various customer service issues that relate to those. So I was, in a sense, building credibility as somebody who provides value and making that case to bring my team in earlier, and also making the case that we needed that intimate customer experience with the users of their product. Now, all the while, I needed to be sensitive to the fact that the business owner that I was talking to, to convince them of, not even convince them, but to make the business case for us being involved in the process and making some user experience design corrections to their product, the business owner that I'm talking to is the subject matter expert that the business analyst interviewed to come up with the product spec. So pretty much the person I'm talking to is the person who created the problem in the first place. So that requires a certain level of diplomacy and uh, sensitivity. So of course, they're creating a product spec that did not conform to user experience design best practices, nor did it necessarily fit the workflow of the users. So I had to be sensitive to that. So very much a communication issue is, as it were, just in simply describing what our team could do and why they should bring us to the table to do it. Now, another flavor of that came from um, my team's interactions with a market research group inside of the company that used external market research consultants 
to do some of that deep customer work. So these market researchers, prior to product being developed, would go out into the uh, companies that our client, that, that our end users worked for, and really study their workflow in order to then bring that data back so that the company could design products, software products, that would meet that workflow. Now, what peeved me so much was that market research group inside of our company was outsourcing that to another market research design firm. And it drove me crazy because then that deep knowledge of our customer base, our actual users, was living outside of the organization. So I was constantly making a business case for them to bring that deep knowledge back into the company. Now, my team were not specifically trained in market research, so we were not the right ones to do it. But I wanted people who were full-time employees of our company to be out there in the field, boots on the ground, doing that market research, maybe with one one of my team members tagging along so that when it came time to write that product spec and do that early development work, my team was informing how that product spec and that early product wireframes and screens and so forth came together from a user experience and workflow design perspective. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Now, really what this all comes down to is business case, business case, business case, business case, showing how you're providing value and showing the organizational impact of having you involved. And in this case, as I told the Scrum Master, showing the organization the actual impact, the financial impact of you being you or somebody on your team or whoever it is being on site with your end users to study their workflow so that you can bring that information back into the organization to help inform the product design. But it absolutely has to be based on a business case because then this switches the dollars in the accounting system in your organization from being expense dollars to being investment dollars. This is an absolute investment in the product rather than an expense that the organization has to bear. And those are important distinctions inside the organization. So that's how I answer the question for the Scrum Master who's inside of a large organization wanting to get out into the world where they can work with the actual end users and study their work. And again, that does cost an organization money. Now the next person who asked a question asked to me essentially the same question. And again, I see it that way retrospectively, but from a much more entrepreneurial perspective, uh, she wanted to know who's gonna pay me for my services. Now, as I talked about my brief career history and the global nature of it, I did happen to drop in to that conversation that I was trained as a coach. 
And this particular person in class was interested in coaching and she wanted to know, how do I make a case for people to actually pay me for my services? Now, again, you'll, you maybe hear some similarities in what I, how I answered her question, what I told her to what I told the scrum master. So as I talked to the future coach in the class, I described to her that she needed to be providing value and she needed to be providing value ahead of time. Again, that idea of a free grocery store sample, whether she puts that idea that that free content out on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever her future clients might be hanging out, she needs to be going there and posting content, essentially providing value ahead of time, being an evangelist for what she does, and much in the same way that I was sitting down to coffee with business owners and asking where their pain points were, and then addressing those pain points with, oh, give me a screenshot and my team will mark up just a couple of quick fixes for you to help you find that low-hanging fruit. That's what our entrepreneur, our, our future entrepreneur needs to do in order to land some clients and and get the good word out about the work that she's doing. And oh my gosh, as she described a little bit about her background, I was like, I could have used you a couple of years ago because the specific area of her expertise is something is it absolutely addressed a situation that I was going through just a couple of years ago. So I would I would have hired her as a coach <laughs> about four or five years ago. Um, but so as I described the coaching process and what coaches need to do, you know, getting out the word of what you do on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, again, wherever your future clients are hanging out, and then capturing their attention there, letting them know what you do, and then offering a free call to provide some actual coaching and provide value ahead of time before they've even signed up as a customer. Now, she then kind of hung back and said, well, but why would they pay me? Why would they spend money on my services, especially if I'm giving them some free stuff right on, you know, social media or right in a phone call with them. And my answer to her was, in fact, there's a a great Jack Canfield quote that I wish was at the top of my brain in uh, at the time when I was having this conversation with the class. But it goes like this. Some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting. And that's kind of the approach I took when I was in that corporate world, too, because some of those business units didn't have any money to pay pay, pay our team. Um, some of those money, business units uh, eventually found some money to pay our team. And whenever there wasn't somebody to pay us, there was always somebody else waiting in the wings. So... Another way that and and this I did remember and gave her some uh, some of this framework. Um, there's a couple of people who've described this four part uh, sort of taxonomy or these four different levels at which people will pay for things. Um, the first is the freeple, <laughs> the freeple who are only going to go after your free stuff. They'll take your free download off the internet. They'll follow you on Instagram or Facebook. They'll show up at your Facebook Lives or whatever it is that you're doing, but they're not going to ever pay you for anything. And that's okay. As long as you're providing value to them, they are getting something out of the work that you're putting out into the world. And that is a wonderful thing. Then there are the cheaple. Now, the cheaple are the the ones who are only going to buy your $19 product or your $37 product. They have a little bit of money to spend, but odds are they maybe don't fully value what it is you do as an entrepreneur, nor do they fully value their own need for it. And that's fine. Again, they might 
opt in for a very low cost version of something that you sell. And so I told her about the freeple and the cheeple. And then the two groups that were more relevant to her, I said, there's also the feeple. These are the people who are willing to pay a fee. They're going to buy in at the standard package of whatever it is you're selling. So she's a coach or she wants to be a coach. So they're going to buy in at the, you know, 12 weeks for $2,500 package or whatever, whatever the package is. And they're going to buy in most likely at that standard package. And they're going to get great results for it. And they're going to find extreme value in the work that you do with them. And it's going to be a wonderful customer relationship. And then there are the preple. These are the premium people. They want to pay the premium price. They are totally committed to getting whatever transformation that your product or service provides, and they want it at the VIP level, and they're absolutely willing to pay for it. So those are your people, <laughs> premium people. So she had a good laugh over I told as I told her about the freeple, the cheeple, the people, free feeple, and the preeple. And again, this is not my construct. I've uh, heard an, quite a number of different people describe these four categories of people. I'm just repeating what I've heard. And in fact, I've heard it so many times, I can't even give you an actual source to cite, which I love to do as an academic, Um, just because I've heard it from so many different, from so many different people. Okay. So really what it comes down to in both the case of our corporate friend and our soon to be entrepreneur friend, it comes down to providing value. If you want to get what you want, you need to be talking not about the value that you can bring at some point in the future. You need to be talking about the value that you have now, and you need to be clearly and unequivocally demonstrating the value that you have now. How you can solve problems, how you can reduce service calls, how you can make your customers happy, how you can save money, or whatever it is that you do. You need to bring value and you need to bring it in a really big way. Let's say you want to ask for a raise. Well, have you been bringing value at the current salary that you've been getting? Have you been bringing extraordinary value, like more value than what they're currently paying you? Because that makes a business case for a raise. Let's say you want a promotion. Have you been bringing value and exceptional value at the level in the organization at which you've already been working? If so, yes, you are probably ready for that promotion. If not, go back to the drawing board and figure out how you can bring more value. If you're looking to leave your current job and get a new job either elsewhere in your same organization or moving to a different organization, you need to absolutely demonstrate how you brought value in the past And in that job interview, you need to be making an exceptional case for how you will bring value to that role once you're placed in it. So again, the same is true for our entrepreneur friend and our corporate friend. They both need to show how they bring value. And as my dear friend who is a teacher in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia who teaches English language learners says one of the very, very fun Malaysian sayings that she has heard while she has been there for these past, oh, many, many years is same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. So that is the case for our entrepreneur friend and our 
corporate friend, same, same, but different. They both need to bring consistent value. They need to be known for bringing value. Their reputation needs to speak for itself that they are people who bring extensive value. Now, if this hasn't convinced you, let's turn our attention to, let's say, a consumer product example. Let's say, for example, that you're an Apple person. Like you love the iPhone, you love the iPad, you have the all of the accessories to those products. You have an app, um, Mac Airbook. You have, I'm not even sure if that's the right term for it because I'm not an Apple person. But let's say you are an Apple person and they have a new product coming out. If you are deeply into being an Apple person, you want that product before you even know what it does because that brand has consistently delivered value. It doesn't matter how much that product costs. It doesn't matter if that's a product you feel like you actually need or you had some need before that product hit the market. It is a no-brainer for you. You want that new product because Apple products in the past have consistently delivered value. It's a no-brainer. So likewise, our Scrum Master needs for it to be a no-brainer for other people because she needs to have demonstrated consistent value over and over and over our soon-to-be coach. She needs, when she makes an offer to a a new customer to coach with her, it needs to be a no-brainer because she has consistently delivered value over and over and over. So let's circle back to our theme that I mentioned at the top of the call, how to get anything you want. If you want to get what you ask for, anything you ask for, you have to have a demonstrated, consistent, track record of bringing value. Your reputation needs to speak for itself. And again, that is so true whether you are in a corporate role or if you are an entrepreneur. Your reputation needs to speak for itself. You need to have that consistent track record of bringing value. And then it is a no-brainer when you ask for that raise. It is a no-brainer that you're right for the promotion. As you're looking for a new job, it is a no-brainer because you are going to bring value. Or if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for those first few clients, whether you are a coach or somebody who does graphic design or construction, it is a no-brainer because you have demonstrated the value and people can clearly see what it is you bring to the table before you even ask for what you want. So that brings us to the end of our episode today, and I am so excited for you to take inventory of all the things that you have done that speak for themselves, that show the ways that you bring value. And if you feel like your reputation isn't there yet, then I want you to double down and find ways to bring value, bring value to your organization, bring value to your teammates, bring value to your boss bring value to the clients that you serve. Because when you have that demonstrated record of bringing value and bringing more value than your salary is worth, bringing more value than the price you charge your clients, bringing more value than you are currently asking anybody to pay you for, then and only then will you be able to ask for what you want and get it. Because they know that you deliver you deliver value, and it's a no-brainer. All right, my friends, go out there this week, get after it, demonstrate that you bring value. And for those of you who have already been bringing a ton of value 
it may just be time for you to ask for what you want, for you to ask for anything that you want. All right, I'll see you back here again next week, same time, same place. Take good care. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.